You're listening to Rethinking It, conversations about changing our minds. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Stephanie Kerlick, a mindset and self-care coach reminding you to be kind to yourself and to take up space in your own life. Rethinking It is all about change. Through intimate chats between just you and me, as well as honest and thought-provoking conversations with some of my favorite people, we'll explore how our behaviors and beliefs have changed over time. And as we're looking back at the moments and experiences of our lives, we'll also forgive ourselves for not knowing more or doing better. Here's the thing, we're usually just doing the very best that we can in any given moment, and everything changes, including us. Even in the moments when it seems impossible or we think we have it all figured out, We can change our thoughts, our actions, our choices, and our inner dialogue. But sometimes we need someone else to remind us that we can. This podcast is your reminder that you can continue to grow and learn and rethink it all. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I mean, starting this podcast is partly selfish on my part because it's giving me the opportunity to catch up with people that either I haven't talked to in a while or I just love talking to and you're one of those people so I'm glad that everyone else gets to listen on our chat. I love it. I love that you're starting the podcast for selfish reasons. I love that so much and when you asked me to be on the podcast I was like oh that means I get to talk to Stephanie for like an hour. This is amazing. I know. (laughs) I know it's been really fun to talk to people um, and record it but also just being you know it gives you time where we don't do this very often where there are no distractions even when you're in person with people sometimes you know your phone or your surroundings or you're in a group but to just spend an hour where we're just focusing on each other is just such a treat it is it is oh I'm so excited for our conversation where it's gonna go who knows I know um for anyone who is listening who's just meeting you for the first time could you share a little bit about who you are and the work that you do Sure. So hello, beautiful souls. I'm Ashley Watson. I am a psychotherapist, spiritual life coach, and Kundalini yoga meditation teacher. And ever since I had my first depression, which was when I was about 13 years old, I've just been on this mission to remind women that they are not alone and that there are ways in which that you can live your life that is filled with love and joy and abundance and that we can do this together and that you can create a life that you love and that feeling depressed or experiencing anxiety can be a temporary feeling. It doesn't have to last throughout your life that you can do things in your life that can create changes where you can truly, you know, meet your soulmate, you know, work in a job that you love or find a career that you love and just like feel an overall happy sense of well-being. Um, and so that's just my personal mission. <laughs> like, well, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's sort of, that's been sort of the, the through line of all of the things that I've been doing over the course of my career. The first thing I wanted to talk about with you is this concept of enoughness. And I'm sure that this comes up a lot in your work, um, but it yeah. t- definitely comes up a lot in the work I do with clients in my day job, working with college students. And I know it's something that I deal with just in my own life every day, this feeling like we're not enough Mm -hmm. and that we have to either strive more or be more or just sort of put on this this false front um, to convince people, including ourselves, that we're enough. Um, So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, um, what, what your experience is with this, and then any tips and tricks you have for when you're feeling like you're not enough, how you can start to overcome those feelings. Oh my God, this is such a good question. <laughs> it's like so deep. You're so, you're just like going right in there. Stephanie. Going right for it. Just going right for it. So um, I just remind me, so I want to make sure I hit everything. So yeah. uh, I'm just going to start talking and just like remind me as we go. Um, so, you know, it's so incredible that you bring up this topic because I'm actually like right now in the middle, I'm actually towards the end of um, writing my first book and I'm so excited about it. And it's, essentially based on this concept. So the book is going to be entitled 
the good girl's guide to becoming an empowered woman. I love it. I, because, and, and like the through line of this is that you, you are already enough to live the life that you want, but what happens is, and this has been, you know, my personal experience, this is in with my experience with a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, we come into these world as these beautiful, innocent babies and we don't know anything else other than the fact we are enough. We cry, we're taken care of. Like, you know, like things just happen for us very naturally. And then over the course of time we start going to preschool or we have these interactions with our our friends or our parents where we start realizing that we have to earn our way to get the cookie or we have to be good or we, you know, especially if I think for women and I imagine probably most of your audience is women. I don't mm-hmm. know. Hello men out there. If you're listening, <laughs> um, I'm sure you probably struggle with this too, but we, we start to, you know, learn that, Oh, well, if you're a good girl, then you'll get this. And if you're a good girl, then you'll, you'll get that. And don't forget, raise your hand before you speak and say, please. And thank you. And apologize, even when it's not your fault and like do all of these crazy things. And what happens is, is we create this sense of self that we have to earn our worthiness or our parents or society and not totally blame them because it's not their fault. It's what, you know, they've been taught to do too. Like, is that you have to earn your worthiness and you have to earn your enoughness. And the reality is, and this is something that I say to, to be honest to myself and to my clients is that, you know, we're born into this life. And that inherently means that we're worthy. That inherently means that we're enough. Like we don't have to earn that. That's not something that we have to earn. It's something that we already are. And so what I think that happens and what I think that we have to do and a lot of things that I have had to work on within myself is really realizing all of the limiting beliefs that we've taken on in in all aspects of our life that have led us to believe that one, we're not enough. And in that not enoughness, we're not worthy of the things that we want. And then that in turn makes us, you know, struggle and try and do all of these sorts of, you know, crazy things where life just becomes so hard. And then when life becomes so hard in that way, it's very easy to become depressed, frustrated, overwhelmed, anxious, but the reality is at the bottom of all of that, there's this, there's this fear of I'm not enough right? Yeah. And I'm not worthy. And so if we can start to look at and identify the, you know, and you don't have to start in all areas of your life that can feel really overwhelming. But if you can look at one area of your life, you know, maybe you're looking for a partner or maybe you're looking to advance your career, or maybe you're looking to leave your career and go to and actually earn money doing something that you love, whatever it might be. If you look at that area of your life and you look and you see, okay, what are what are sort of the the rules that I believe about this that have been preventing me from getting what I want or preventing me from um, doing what is whatever it is that I want to do in my life, right? If I'm starting to look at these rules that are are just are just a construct, they're just like an idea, but that we've bought into. So then when you see that, you can start to realize, okay, well, what is the idea that I actually believe? Or what is the idea that um, I actually want to have happen in my life? I want to be somebody who meets their soulmate effortlessly. And I want to be somebody who can earn abundantly doing something that I love. Um, And then we can start, and then as we start to rewrite these rules for ourselves, we can start to realize that we can't, we are the ones that are determining our own enoughness. It's not everybody else or who we think that we're comparing ourselves to. Yeah. I think that is really key. This quest for enoughness and always striving to earn it. When you are in that world, you can never actually earn it. I mean, this was my experience for sure growing up. I somewhere picked up the story that I just as a human being, Stephanie was not enough. And so if I wasn't the perfect daughter and the perfect student and the perfect friend, and I didn't have the perfect outfit and the perfect body that no one was going to, to think that I was worthy. And even worse than that, that they were going to see me as a burden. And Mm -hmm. so that that was my story and so i went on this quest that lasted nearly 30 years of doing everything i could think of to try and earn that worthiness but i could never actually grasp it because it was all something i constructed in my head so the closer i felt like i got to it the further i actually was from it 
Totally. And it's like, and it's like realizing too, which is like, this is a part of life, you know, I think that we always think that like, oh, when I, it's like the, when I have syndrome, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, when I lose weight, I will be happy. When I meet my soulmate, I'll be happy. When I have this job, I'll be happy. But like, you're just substituting that with enough, right? When I get this outfit or I wear this thing, I will feel enough. When I have this thing, I will feel enough. When I, it's the same concept. And we're just perpetually putting our sense of worthiness and enoughness on this outside thing. And when we do that, even when we obtain it, we still never really feel enough because it's not something that's coming from internally, it's coming from externally and an external thing will never make us feel enough. It'll be like a very temporary high, um, if at all. Yeah. And it really can be really damaging because one, you are isolating yourself because you're always in this struggle. You're not actually able to really connect with anyone because you're performing all of the time. Mm -hmm. And at some point it gets so freaking exhausting because you lose sight of who you actually are because you are in every scenario, you're shaping yourself based on what you think that other person or that other situation wants of you. And then at some point, you wake up and you look around and realize, I don't even know who I am anymore and I can't even recognize myself. Totally, totally. (laughs) Yes, this this chase for enoughness, for, you know, all of the, the, like, you know, and I, I think that this is, you know, how it relates to, to the book I'm writing, like the good girl. Like, I think a lot of us adult women have been trying to fit in this like good girl mold as adult women that like just doesn't actually work. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and then what happens is, is we see other women out there breaking the rules and doing things like that. And we're like, well, how are, how are, how are they doing that? <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, and, and they're the ones that are maybe getting the things that we want or they seem happier on Instagram. I don't really know. And, and that's not really the point, but I think like what, what has happened is like we, we, teach girls and we've learned ourselves, you know, if you are good and you do this and you'll get what you want, but you're living by somebody else's standards. Right. And you're not, you're not actually stepping back and questioning like who decided what good even is. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Like who, who did that? Who did that? You know, and, um, you know, I think like the answer, like from a, like a much broader perspective is, you know, like women have been really disempowered over, you know, it hasn't even been a hundred years that we've been able to vote, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, when I think about that, you know, I mean, like, yes, we've come a long way and like, we have a far way to go, but like, you know, we have to, we have to give ourselves credit for where we are, but also keep moving through it because like, we have to keep asking ourselves these questions of, who, you know, who determined what a good girl, what a good woman meant, you know, and what does that mean for me? And how can I just be good just because I'm being me is the real question. And how do I connect to who I truly am outside of these constructs and these rules and these labels that society or my family or whatever has put for me? And so as you're trying to unpack all of this, which is, by the way, a lifelong journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, you mean you can't like take a pill? Oh, like, uh, wouldn't that be nice? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it is constant. I mean, I- I've been doing this work for several years as you have probably have too, but even yeah. I even get caught up in it. Like I just did it right before this interview, I was on, scrolling through Instagram, which is where it normally happens for me. Yeah. Um, and I came across someone who has a podcast that the theme is very similar to mine. And I was seeing the guests that she's had on and I was thinking, oh, I'm never going to get someone like that on my podcast. I should not even start it. Yeah. Right. So, and, and I, you know, I have the awareness, I've done the therapy, I've worked with the coaches. I, I, for the most part, move through my life already feeling like I am enough and that I don't need to prove anything, but we all get triggered like that. And it's, it's figuring out ways that you're able to pull yourself back from that edge before you jump over. And then you're like lost in the sea of comparison and jealousy and judgment and just that feeling of, I can never be enough. Right. 
Well, I think like what you said is so key is that like you had the awareness that you were having this thought. And I think so often we, most people don't have the awareness that they're having the thought. And so what happens is, is it's so easy for that thought to gain momentum when you're not having the awareness that you're having the thought, right? And so that's why such, you know, key practices like meditation and journaling and doing all of those things that help you connect to that still, that voice inside of your head can help you in those moments to really become aware of the thoughts. And then once you become aware of the thoughts, you get to choose which road you go down, whether you go down the fearful road of, I'm not good enough, where you say like, oh, wow, thank you, thought, for coming into my head, but I choose not to believe you at this time, like, see you later, you know, and we get, we, we, we forget our own power in being able to choose what we believe to be true, even if it's in our own head. Exactly, yeah, I mean, that's been a through line in all of the conversations I've been having for the podcast is this idea of all of these stories that we tell ourselves that other people place on us and having to really work through them and then start to prove them wrong for ourselves so that we can rewrite our own story. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. That's so good. And it's, it really is such an important message. And I think that that's something that, especially as I um, got older and I was ready to get married and all of that stuff, you know, I sort of thought that my life was going down one particular direction and that, and I was very, you know, it was very comfortable and I was very happy with that. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of drama and chaos, you know, happened in my life that made me have to choose directions. Like it wasn't like my life was just effortlessly floating by anymore. You know, like I kind of had to make proactive choices, um, in not just where my life was going, but more importantly, like who did I want to be in my own life? Right. Cause there would have maybe been a path of least or less resistance, <laughs> matter right. about least, you know, I guess least resistance, but you know, when it wasn't no resistance, um, but you know, and, and starting to be conscious then of like, And then all of a sudden you realize like, oh my God, like this is how I got to this place that has been so chaotic. But I think it's really, truly in those crazy, dramatic, emotional, traumatic times is is really, truly where we grow the most and learn the most about ourselves and learn the most about what it is that we have to offer the world and life and our relationships and all of it. Absolutely. And I, I think that it's really reminding yourself that you you get to decide, right? Even if you have so many obstacles in front of you that y- you get to decide how you're going to react to it and that you're not always going to get it right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, we joked about it earlier, like wish we could take a pill, but this is really mm-hmm. hard work. I mean, a lot of us come to this realization as adult women. And so, you know, we've spent 20, 30 plus years to get to this point to start to chip away at all of that is going to be messy and it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to be so tempted to just go back to your old ways of people pleasing and doing what you think is expected of you because there there's comfort in that um you can sort of flip on autopilot numb out and then just float through your life um Mm -hmm. but being you know confronting these moments in your life where, you know, there's been a trauma or just a stressor um, can really be those pivot points where you can sort of take stock and, and say, okay, this is not the direction I choose to go down any longer. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that you know, when you really look back at your life, you can, you re, you'll remember the happy moments, but I think like the moments that you're going to really like hold like deep in your heart are going to be those really tough traumatic times where you were able to pull through and, and really experience your own resilience. Because I think too, when you are able to do that, like that's also where you start to realize and connect to your own sense of worthiness and enoughness because you're like if I can go through that and everybody has some experience right like none of I always say like none of us get out of this life like scot-free mm. you know um like I've met I, there's nobody really that I've met in my life that has had a, a perfect existence right where nothing bad happened to them ever 
And so like we all have that thing and some people's thing is maybe more traumatic and crazier than others, but we all have that one, like a one or multiple things that have happened that have really tested our strength and our power for us to be able to really move through and experience our own real amazingness and resilience. And in that being able to truly own and become more of who we are. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think I love that you, how you said that, yeah, we'll remember the happy moments, but it's, it's the more stressful, the painful moments, those can be defining for us. I think sometimes, um, and I've been guilty of this myself, um, in the wellness world and the spiritual community, we like to love and light over things and sort of push the pain away um, and if we just put an affirmation or a happy face on it, then then that is true enlightenment. And we skip over the painful moments, but pain is part of it. <laughs> yeah, because you can't really experience joy. You can't know joy without experiencing pain. Like we are a world of opposites. Right. Right. And 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 polarization. And so you can't experience one without the, the fullness of one, I should say, the fullness of one without the other, because they they have to co they have to coexist. Because otherwise, joy just becomes every day. You know what I mean? Right. And but one it, isn't better or worse than the other. So if no. you are feeling sad or you're anxious or you're depressed, that's not because you failed in some way. You can't fail at being happy, but <laughs> it's all part of it. Totally. Well, I think too, it's like. Our, uh, it's so funny. I don't know. Are you into like watching The Bachelorette? <laughs> uh, I am not. No. Okay. Well, you know, I used I when it when it like first came on when I was in college. Um, you know, I was really into it, and then I was like, I couldn't take it anymore. And then I recently have had a client who was into it, and she would want to talk to me about it and the relationship. So I I got into it again. So um, I, I was watching it last night, and they were they went on the hometown dates, and so the the bachelor was meeting all the all the parents, and they're like you know, they're all like super protective of their, of their, of their sons being like, you know, like, we just want you to be happy. And does this make you happy? And it's like, you know, and like, you know, aren't you going to experience pain if she doesn't, you know, choose you? And it's like, yeah, like this is like pain is a part of life. Breakups are a part of life. And like, that's, that's okay. And like, that's what's supposed to happen. You know, we're exposed to experience pain. We're so, we, we learn in, in all ways, whether it's, you know, being on the bachelorette and falling in love or in, in our own love lives or in, in career or just with ourselves. Like we learn what we do want by experiencing what we don't want. And we learn like how we want our life to go by experiencing how we don't like it going. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so like you, you, I, I don't see how you can have one without the other. And, and I think that especially in those moments, um, like there's such beautiful opportunities for you to be able to choose how you want your life to go and, and the changes you want to make. I remember I had this one therapist when I was in graduate school and she was really wonderful. And I think it may have been our last session together because like once I graduated, I couldn't see her anymore or whatever. And she said, you know, um, we probably don't know specifically, but you know how like Chinese symbols or Chinese words, like they typically have like a couple of meanings. Like there might be a couple of symbols that represent a word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so she told me, cause I was going through a really, really hard time when I was, when I was graduating and I had a lot going on in my life. And she told me that the Chinese symbol for the word crisis has like two symbols within it. And what they both mean, one is danger and the other one is opportunity. And I always thought when she told me, I was like, oh, like that makes so much sense. And when we start to see everything that's happening in our life as an opportunity, we really get to decide what is it, who do we want to be? How do we want to live? And how do we want to move forward? And sometimes you have, and sometimes the moving forward can feel terrible because you have to cry it out. (laughs) Yeah. The whole point isn't to, to not feel it, Um, but, but 
to know that it's all temporary. The bad moments are temporary and the good moments are temporary. They all bleed into the next. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you inherently are strong enough to get through it. Yes. And like, I, I also believe, and maybe this is a little woo-woo spiritual, but I, I also believe that if you were given these certain, if you have these certain experiences in your life, they are there to help you and to there and helping you help others awaken and, and do things like that. So if you were, you have a certain experience, like you have, you, you have the strength to move through it. Right. And you might not feel it in the moment and it might take a year, five years, 10 years. A hundred percent. To be able to look back, like it can totally suck and feel terrible and like the world is ending in the moment and that is okay too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, that has happened for me for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the areas that this really has been very present in my own life has been in, in the realm of romantic relationships mm -hmm. um, because I picked up the story very young in life that romantic relationships were not safe, um, that I was better off alone, and that I had to be a strong, independent woman. And so that was the entire foundation of what I built my entire life on. Um, and so I told myself the story forever that I was never going to get married. I wasn't going to be in a long-term relationship. It was all crap. And really at the root of it was because I was terrified of someone not wanting me, of not being loved, of being heartbroken. And I felt like I couldn't rebound from that. So I purposefully built this wall around me where I, no one could come in. Um, right. And I missed out on a lot of opportunities and then by the time I sort of started chipping away at the wall um, and, and met Andrew, I had a hell of a lot of work to do on myself while still being at the beginning stages of a relationship because it was either break down those walls that I built that I, I had to do that. He didn't have to change anything. Mm -hmm. um, I had to sort of confront my own fears right. about being hurt and left because I was in a relationship and I wanted it to keep going. Um, but I think that as, that's been my experience. And I don't know, as someone who um, helps women, oftentimes when they are trying to find their soulmate, um, if this is something that you see as a common through line in their stories too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the story itself might be a bit different, but like, it, you know, I think that so many of us where, you know, it's like, what we were sort of just saying before, like happiness is this goal that we're all striving towards, but never quite get there. And so in our, in our goal to achieve happiness, we put up all of these walls around us that, so that we don't get hurt, so that we don't get sad, so that we don't, life doesn't get messy enough for us to experience it and then get to the joy, right? We think that like this happiness thing is like this, like, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's like this thing that we just can't attain or that we can only attain if we are closed off to life experiences because life experiences might be hard or, you know, might, we might cry or whatever. And so, you know, I think that uh, when it comes to relationships, you know, I think a lot of times too, what I'll see with women that I work with, they'll, they'll, they'll want this relationship, they'll want this partner. And then they think that life is going to magically be different or change um, once they're with their partner. And, you know, usually there's a few weeks to a few months where, you know, when you're first falling in love with somebody, like it's really wonderful and exciting. And it usually feels, or it can feel really easy and fun. And then like, you know, the rose colored glasses come off a little bit and like people are humans. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden they can realize the ways in which that they play out these relationship patterns so that they don't get hurt so like for a lot of women that I work with um you know it, it's a lot about try, trying to be perfect so that the person won't leave them and then what happens is is that they are not really being true to themselves and they're sort of playing out this little good girl um persona with their partner um that you know probably that likely wants them to step up and to be a woman and but yet they're trying to do that but within this construct that if I'm not good then they won't love me or they won't honor me or they won't find me sexy or whatever it is and so then what happens is so often that they build this wall where they're not speaking their truth or they're not communicating 
they're not asking for what they need and um and it creates can can create a huge rift in the dynamic and um and, and dating pattern, but, you know, hope, you know, in working with people, you know, you hope to encourage them to work through it and to start breaking down the wall because it's, it's, it's not easy to be vulnerable, but it's also not easy to be in fear all the time of being vulnerable. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's really exhausting to be someone else all the time. Yeah. Uh, and so what I, what I, was interesting for me in my relationship is I had this idea of what uh, sort of all, everything I expected a partner to provide for me or how I would feel. Um, mm-hmm. And in looking back, I realized that those were all of the things that I wanted to feel for myself but I was projecting them on this other person. Um, And it was really the relationship I was craving most with myself, this unconditional acceptance, this feeling like I was worthy, this not having to pretend. That's all what I wanted to feel about myself. Right. But I was seeking it from somebody else. Totally. And I couldn't get it until I actually felt it myself. <laughs> right. Because then when, once, once, because that can often put so much pressure on the relationship, especially when one person relationship doesn't feel that way about themselves. Right. And then once you do start to feel that way about yourself, it opens up the floodgates of love within the relationship. Right. Because then there's not that much pressure of like, I'm, I'm the sole source of your love and happiness. Right. That's a lot of pressure to put on someone in the relationship. And, and so it's, it can, and creates really kind of, uh, unhealthy codependent, um, dynamics. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so, you know, it's so important. It's like, you know, for, for two people to come together. And this is like in an ideal world that like almost none, because none of us are ever going to be that, I'm using air quotes, you can't see them that perfect when we get into a relationship. But the idea is to like, how can I be, how can I be my whole, can I come to a relationship being my whole self? Can I attract a partner, a person, a partner who is also capable of being their whole self so that we can be ourselves together and then create a life where we have common goals and values and dreams and aspirations. But when you're not feeling enough in a relationship and you're looking for that other person to fill that void, it creates a really, creates a um, unhealthy like power dynamic that's going on when the reality is the healthiest relationship can be just two whole people coming together, which obviously doesn't mean that like you can't have down days and, you know, need support from your partner, but it's like, what's the overall sense of self that you're bringing to the relationship. Right. And then also knowing that in your relationship that there will be times when things are lovely and things are joyful and happy and fun and delightful and all of the good things. And there will be times that will be challenging, right? Because I think like people think your soulmate is like your one love and it's just so amazing. And, and, And it is that, but it's also a person that's going to challenge you to face your fears and to break down those walls and to get vulnerable and to get real. And that, that can be kind of scary and messy, but it's all good for your own personal evolution. Absolutely. And I think, um, speaking of soulmates, you and your husband, Josh, sort of are, have this vision board worthy relationship. (laughs) I think, you know, you're known as the Watsons and, um, And so from looking from the outside, it could be like, okay, that's what, that's what soulmates are, but you are two real people living a real life. Yeah. And so of course there are not great moments, but what do you do in those not great moments, um, in your relationship to shift out of that and get back on track? Uh, so, So, you know, we really work very hard on, on communication and Josh, you know, so I had a similar struggle. Josh is very, um, uh, I don't want, Josh is very good with his words. I'll, I'll say it like that. Cause I, I, there was a part of me that want to say he's confrontational. He's not confrontational as much as he, he's very comfortable in a, in a confrontation or in a, in a heated discussion. 
Does that make sense? Yes, because Andrew is very similar. Yeah, like he's just he's just very confident yeah. with his words and 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 for me, so I grew up, so I'm writing this book, The Good Girl's Guide to Becoming an Empowered Woman, you know, because it's my story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have this good girl persona where I grew up in a world where and and I'm not blaming my parents or society, but this is just how it happens where you know I was taught, you know, if when you're, if you're a good girl, good things will happen to you. But what does it mean to be a good girl? You have to play by the rules. You can't hurt people's feelings. You can't do, you know, you can't, it wasn't like you can't speak your truth as much as like you have to sugarcoat your truth so that you don't hurt somebody's feelings or that. So, and, and I'm also like a Libra too. So Libras, you know, they Same. don't like Oh, you're a Libra. <laughs> So like, I, do, I don't like, I like peace, I right. don't like confrontation. It's like very, very hard. So, so, so when we initially, when we first got married or first, this first heated discussions or, um, you know, were very difficult for me because I, I would go numb and because I, I couldn't figure out what to say. And I would just kind of sit there blankly and he like, and Josh would be like, what? Or like, well, like you need to talk to me. Like, what's wrong with you? And I'd be like, because, and I would just be battling in my in my head of like, what am I going to say? Like, am I am I going to hurt his feelings? If I hurt his feelings, he's not going to love me anymore. Like, all these crazy things were going through my because that's was what I was sort of taught to believe, even though he never, uh, I never felt that way because of him. You know, it was just like old programming and old patterning. And so um, fortunately, you know, my husband's also a marriage and family therapist. So, (laughs) so, um, you know, we could talk and work through, you know, how to create safety in our dynamic um, so that one, I could speak, but also that he could feel like he was being heard because what happened was I would totally shut down and then he would feel, get frustrated with me because he didn't feel like I was listening to him or that I had anything to say back. And so, so, and then it, it so my point is, is like, one, communication is everything. Two, like, you know, if you're really, 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 really super angry and you know you're going to say something mean that you're going to regret, I always tell my clients, like, you know, take an adult time out for five to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> minutes. Because if you're, if you're somebody who gets really like that kind of angry and can get kind of nasty, like you're not, you're just going to create more defensiveness and distance and disconnectedness in your relationship. So my advice is always like, take us, take an adult time out and come back. But like the, the idea here is, is that you want to one, you have to prioritize being in a relationship and being with a partner who is going to love you unconditionally. And when, if you can start to set that tone in your relationship, then you can start to speak your truth without like fearing if you do, they're going to leave you. Right. Cause I think like, or they're not going to love you or they're going to think differently of you. If you can right. set the foundation for unconditional love, which really truly starts, as we already said, with unconditional love for yourself, then everything you have to have the discussion, but you can trust that moving through it, things will be okay. Yeah. And I love the idea of putting yourself in a timeout um, <laughs> and knowing yourself enough to know if you are a reactor. So I, I am a reactor. When I feel challenged, it, it sort of picks at that perfectionist defensive mm-hmm. part of me. And so I go into totally. attack mode because I have to prove to you now that I am enough or that I am right. Um, and so I don't get this right all the time, but I do um, try and repeat in that, in the moment, uh, I think it's from A Course in Miracles, but that idea of, do you want to be right or happy? Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And so that is a question that I have to ask myself. So that's my version of putting myself in a timeout because Andrew and I will be having a discussion and he'll say something that will challenge me. And my first instinct always, even eight years in, is to fire back. Yeah. Um, and so I have, I usually either fire back or I go radio silent, but if I can pause and breathe in that moment and repeat that thought in my head of, do I want to be right in this situation or do I just want to be happy? And do I trust that I can share what I'm thinking without trying to prove anything and he's going to receive it? Um, in the moments where I do do that, it, 
it de-escalates and we're able to have an adult conversation in the moments where I forget to do that. Um, <laughs> either I say nothing because like you mentioned, I just like sort of go into turtle pose and I just like freak out because I don't totally. want to say the right, the wrong thing, or I go on the opposite end and I just attack. Right. Um, that never leads anywhere positive. It never goes anywhere good. It never, ever does. And like, and I'm not saying like, I'm all about like, you need to get your anger out. But like, typically, what the anger that's coming out, even if it's being triggered by your partner, it's not really as much about your partner as it probably is about yourself. Like you, you like you said, you, my my perfectionist part of me was getting triggered. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I was feeling not enough in that moment. And that's that's about you right? That's not about whatever you're fighting over or disagreeing over or whatever. That's about um, a, a wound that you have within you that's getting triggered and is looking to be healed in that moment. Right. It's not going to be healed if you say, well, I am perfect and blah, blah, blah. What do you know? And whatever, you know? Um, or you're just an asshole. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like sometimes that's like the best comeback you can get. And you know when that's the best you can get. Like you need an adult timeout. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that idea of having an adult timeout. <laughs> you know? Like you need an adult timeout and so that you can you can chill, you can get some perspective, and then you can come back and have an adult conversation. I remember one time, like so vividly, I don't I don't even remember what you're fighting about. I probably if I thought hard enough I could have, but it doesn't really matter. And we were fighting about something or, you know, or it was some, and it was, it was stupid because the vast majority of the time it's stupid stuff that really is a deeper level conversation. Right. Right. And so, um, I always say, do you, did you ever see the movie, the breakup? Yes. Okay. So, you know, like the first scene, right? Like Vince Vaughn comes home, like Jen Ransom's cooking dinner and Vince Vaughn comes home with like the bag of lemons. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and she's like, where are my lemons? He's like, I got you lemons. And she's like, but I wanted 12 lemons. And he's like, well, I got you three lemons. Like, why can't you just use three lemons? She's like, well, I want to make a 12 lemon centerpiece. And like, and then they end up breaking up over lemons, but it's not really over lemons. Right. We know this. It's not, it's not about the lemons. And so I remember this one time Josh and I were fighting over lemons, you know, metaphorically. And, um, and, and I had to go somewhere. And so I, I, went into the, sh- I like took my adult time out in the shower. I was, I was getting ready. And I, and I just said a prayer. I was like, universe, like speak through me. Cause I, I just, I don't know how to get through this. On my own. Like help me out. And so, and literally I, I got out of the shower and I started getting ready and I, and I went to Josh and like, I don't even know what I, like the words were not my own, but like all, whatever it was, I was totally untriggered the conversation de-escalated and we were able to handle whatever it was and move on rather seamlessly and effortlessly. And we both felt heard, loved, and understood. And I think that with any discussion, it's like, do you, you know, those are the questions to ask. Like, am I feeling heard, loved, and understood? And is my partner feeling heard, loved, and understood? Like, because if you can get those three things, like in the foundationally, then like you can move forward. Right. But if you do, if one person doesn't feel those three things, like then it, it's going to be harder to move forward in, in your relationship and in the fight of whatever it is. Yeah. I learned this technique. It was years ago um, from Gabby Bernstein. I don't, we were just having a conversation about, I think, relationships. It must have been. And she said, she taught me this tool that was really helpful for me at the beginning of me trying to work through this in that if you're having a disagreement or argument that you give one person the chance to speak uninterrupted for a certain amount of time. So you set a timer, let's say it's Mm -hmm. two minutes and you're able to share your perspective, no interruptions. And then the other person, your timer goes off and then the other person can't respond to it. They have to take their two minutes and share their perspective. And then you have to mirror back to the other person that you heard their perspective. So at no point are you giving a commentary on how the other person feels or trying to prove that the way they feel is not wrong, is not right, but you're actively listening and then reciting it back to them to let them know that you heard them. And that simple thing was so huge for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually like a simplified version of what's called imago therapy 
which is a technique and you can, you can Google it uh, and you can do it with a couple or find a couples therapist who's certified in it. Um, but there are um, a lot of articles online about it. And uh, <clears throat> Josh and I have used some of those skills as well uh, because it's, it's so, the, the technique is, is, so great because one person speaks, you know, and speaks their piece, whatever it is, and the other person has to reflect back um, what they, you know, what they heard. Because oftentimes, and most times, when we're triggered, right, we don't hear things clearly, or right. we're so focused on what, how we're going to respond to the first thing that we heard that we're not listening to the whole explanation. And so, and and so they have, so the other person gets the opportunity to, you know, reflect back what they heard or what, how they understand what they heard. And then they ask, like, is that correct? And then you could say yes or no. And then the person who said their piece can say yes or no. Or what I meant to say, I, I did, you're right, I did say that, but what I meant to say was this. Right. So it, and it's really, and then it, there's, there's more um, instructions to it, but um, it's, it's a really great way of starting to build the, those pillars within, within the fighting of feeling heard, loved and understood. Yeah. And, and so, because it's so important to recognize, um, you know, because, because I think probably most people get triggered when in, they're fighting in relationships because <laughs> at least that's in my experience personally and professionally with the clients that I work with, most people get triggered. And so, but if you can set the, uh, you can sort of create rules that set a foundation for both parties to feel heard, loved, and understood, then it's going to be much easier to move through the, the challenge in the relationship, which is natural and is supposed to happen because that's how you grow as individuals and as a couple together. Yeah, I, I really love that sort of building that foundation of feeling heard, loved, and understood because that that is really what we're all seeking. And when, in my experience, when I'm caught up in a fight that never seems to end, it's because at the root of it, I don't feel heard and I don't feel understood, and I'm worried that means that he doesn't love me. Right. Uh, so if you sort of, if that's your foundation, if you build, you know, whether you use this exercise that we just talked about, or you build your own tools, or you see a therapist, um, but you find ways to make sure that you're doing those three, I think that is such, such good advice. Yeah. yeah. And really will probably save you a lot of time in the <laughs> arguing. It really will. It will. And, and, and I mean, and I love your tool too, which is like, you ask yourself, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? You know, I mean, that's a really good an important question in, in the fight. You know, it was even like yesterday, this is such a stupid example, but this is like what couples like will fight about is like yesterday, Josh was getting ready to go to work and I had some extra time in the morning. And so I said, Hey, do you want me to make you pancakes? And he said, yeah. And so like, so I make him pancakes and you know, when he comes downstairs, I was like, Oh, you know, your pancakes are ready. And he's like, I thought you were making me a smoothie. And I said, no, I, I said pancakes. He's like, no, you definitely said smoothie. And I was like, no, I was like, I definitely said pancakes. And he's like, well, I don't have time to eat pancakes. Like I just need to have time to like drink a smoothie. I was like, well, I made you pancakes, <laughs> you know? And it's like those types of things where like we could have gone on and on because right. like who, you know? And I was like, I know I said pancakes. And he's like, well, I really like think you said smoothie. <laughs> Let's check the transcript. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was just one of those things. And it's like, you know, it's like the lemons. It's like, yeah. Do you really want to fight about <laughs> whether or not I said pancakes or smoothie? You know, and it's like not that that fight was actually going to really go anywhere. Like we kind of laughed about it, but like I think like, but sometimes if you're in the wrong headspace, those fights can actually lead to more in-depth fights, right? Right. Yeah. So you start fighting about whether you said pancakes or smoothies, and all of a sudden you bring up something that happened three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have been guilty of. <laughs> well, you never listened to me. Right. I said pancakes, you know, and it becomes this whole, uh, this whole other thing, which is, which is silly. And, and, and it's, but it's asking yourself the moment, you know, do, you know, he thinks I said, he thinks I said smoothie. Like, so he's not getting breakfast. You know, what am I going to do? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I jokingly said earlier that you guys are known as the Watsons, although, yeah. um, <laughs> To many of us, you are, but how do you maintain that identity of having, you know, being part of a couple um, and prioritizing your relationship, but also 
being your own person, having your own interests and prioritizing yourself? Ah, that's such a good question. You know, I think what's really interesting about Josh and I is that a lot of our interests align. So we're both into, we're both therapists, we're both life coaches. We are both in the process of building our businesses online, both separately and together. We um, are both into spirituality. We both do yoga. <laughs> so, so we, there are a lot of um, a lot of commonalities between us that that I I think really you know help our relationship stay connected and 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 interesting. Um, you know, and then Josh has, you know, some other interests that, that he gets involved with and, and I have my own separate ones. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we come home together, we're committed to each other. And I think that, you know, I really, you know, before I met Josh, I was, um, not, I, I, I didn't know about the spiritual world. It wasn't that I wasn't interested or anything like that. I just didn't know about like all of these cool things like existed. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I like liked reading my horoscope and I knew I was a Libra, but that was like kind of where it ended. <laughs> and, you know, meditating was kind of cool, but I never did it consistently. And yoga was interesting, but you know, I, you know, didn't know that much about it. And I just, did, I didn't know the depth of what there was to know. And I met Josh and he really was the one that exposed me to all this stuff. And I was like, Oh wow, like this life is amazing. This is stuff is so cool. And, um, and so, you know, I was a very willing participant on, on the spiritual journey. Um, and then, you know, it really, you know, our, our sort of Watson, the Watson's title, you know, really, you know, came from being embraced by, by the spiritual community that we're both a part of, which was really kind of incredible and very special for us. Um, and, you know, we just, what's, what's great is that I think both of us, where the places where we do separate and where we do sort of explore our own interests, uh, we both really respect each other's time in that way. And, um, it's never like, if I want to go do, you know, Josh is into a certain type of yoga, but if I want to go do a Kundalini training or something, he's really, really supportive of me going and doing it. And same thing with him. If he wants to go and do this workshop, you know, like he goes and he does the workshop by himself. And, you know, sometimes I might go with him if it sounds interesting to me. And sometimes I might not. And like, that's okay too. And so, um, you know, I think it like really comes back like to the foundation of your relationship. It's like, do you feel heard? loved and understood and 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 in those three things you're really able to build a sense of trust and and compassion and um just allowing each other to be each other and and to constantly realize that you're both challenging each other to be more of yourselves too within the relationship if that makes sense yeah and i think that trust component is so critical just in relationships in general but as you're trying to navigate balancing both your own identity and the identity of the couple um i think you you know trusting yourself um trusting that that you deserve your own time and that you it's not selfish to do your own thing but also trusting the what the relationship needs i mean we were just chatting about this before we started recording the episode but mm-hmm. it was recently um gabby's weekend at Kripalu, and i usually go every year um and this year i chose not to because i was prioritizing spending time with my relationship andrew and i don't get time off mutually together very often and so i didn't even have to think twice about you know, am I going to do one or the other? Like, yeah, did I, I, do I wish I could have gone? Sure. If it was another weekend, but, um, you know, I was happy to stay home and, and really connect with Andrew and, and had that trust that that's what was right in our relationship at this moment where, you know, a year from now, maybe I would have, you know, gone and done a girl's weekend. Um, right. but you know, trusting your relationship and yourself, knowing that you can be yourself and still be in a relationship. That's been a huge lesson for me. Totally, totally. It's so funny because um, I, the reason why I didn't go this year too was because I, I Josh and I had the weekend together. <laughs> we had a few days off together too. And so I think it's like also, you know, you have to make time to prioritize your relationship and you have to make time to prioritize your relationship with yourself. Right. Right. And And all of those things are important and they can't always be done at the same time and that's okay. 
And sometimes, sometimes they can, and sometimes they can't. And so, you know, how can you balance all of that? It's, it's not easy, but it's, it's possible. And, and you do the, and this is what we were also saying before we started recording, which is like, the only thing you can do in life really is just do the best you can and keep showing up. Exactly. Yeah. You, like that's that's exactly. you just have to, in this moment, make the best decision you can for yourself. And then, you know, in the next moment, a whole nother thing could be what's right. And you sort of have to be willing to ride it out. Um, otherwise you get caught up in the what ifs and the if onlys and you can really get caught in your head and then totally wake up in five years and realize, huh, I just lost five years of my life. <laughs> yeah. And also like you can't, you know, regret a decision that you've already made. Right. Like there's this one thing that happened that to me, excuse me, this decision that I make and, and, and every time I think about it, I'll always, I, I always go to this place of like, oh God, well, I wish I didn't do that. But like, then, the, and then I immediately go, but that was the best, that was the best decision that I made, could made, could have made at the time with the, with the information that I had at hand, you know, like I, I sought support for the decision. I thought about it. I, and, and it felt like it was the right decision for my, for me to make at the time. And and if I knew then what I know now, I would have done differently, but I didn't know that then. Exactly. That I think is so huge that just trusting yourself to that you are doing the best that you can. And yeah, in, in a week, five years, 10 years, looking back, maybe knowing what you know in that moment, you would do something differently, but let yourself off the hook because you didn't have any of those facts at the moment. (laughs) So you literally did the very best that you could. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, like also like giving yourself that credit that you're doing the best that you can and that most other people on the planet are also doing the very right. best that they can too. Yeah. Right? I think and, if we yeah, went ahead. through more experiences, feeling that about ourselves and believing that about other people, um, we would experience a very different reality. Right. Totally. Totally. It's like, you know, the guy like cuts you off on your way to work and like you almost, you know, we're ending or whatever. Like he's probably also doing the best at that moment, you know? And it's like, you know, you, so you can like be like, Oh God, like he's such a jerk. Or like, I can't believe that just happened or like whatever. Like you can like get all like bent out of shape about it and let it ruin your day. Or you can just be like, you know, whatever, like I'm safe, he's safe, you know, like let's keep it moving. Right. Yeah. Keep it moving is definitely, I think, a good life philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As we wrap up the episode, I have a few quick fire questions for you. Okay. (laughs) Um, What song have you been listening to on repeat lately? (gasps) Oh, that's a good one. Um, What song? Okay. I've been going through an um, early John Mayer phase. Oh, Yes. So I'm, um, so what is it? Why Georgia? Yes. Yes. That's in my like most recent on repeat song. Um, I don't know where, where I was like, I want to listen to old John Mayer. And I got really into, into that. So that's, I love that album. I forgot how much I love that album. I know I did too. (laughs) Until all of a sudden, like, I think I may, maybe it came on the radio. I don't know how, like it got like read triggered in my brain and I'm like it brought back so many like great memories of like high school and like all this stuff and I actually live in Fairfield where John Mayer grew up and went to high school so I was like oh this is so cool anyway so I love it yes so that's most recent <laughs> uh what's your favorite non-water beverage oh non-water beverage I always drink water I know you do <laughs> <laughs> celery juice celery juice I thought that might be your answer. <laughs> celery juice, for sure. Celery juice because I don't, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I drink celery juice. That's that's like the only other liquid that I consistently drink is okay. celery juice. So there you go. <laughs> I enjoy good celery juice myself as well. I know it really is life changing. I always tell people, do it for four, 16 ounces for four days. Your digestive system will be totally changed. Yeah, and for me, I struggle. Like I, like you, mostly just drink water and a lot of it, mm-hmm. um, but I still never feel hydrated. And so when I am doing the celery juice consistently, I feel like my cells are hydrated. It just is a very different feeling in my body. 
Oh yeah. And you know, I just actually started doing, you know, like um, somebody told me that the rind of like a watermelon is like really nutrient dense and is really good for you. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I've been eating a ton of watermelon, but not the rind. So save, okay. So save the rinds, like rinse them, obviously juice them. And with like a lime, oh my God, it's so good. Oh, interesting. Just starting to try. You have to try it because we just, someone told us recently that the rinds are so nutrient dense. And then I looked it up and they were so right. And, um, and then you can juice them and it's like super refreshing and it's a nice alternative and, and they're really hydrating. And, um, and it's like a nice alternative I thought to celery juice. Yeah. I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. Um, do you have a simple go-to self-care activity that you return to time and time again? <sighs> self-care. One thing that I, this, hmm. so I'm going to give you two. One is definitely Kundalini yoga and meditation because what I love about Kundalini yoga and meditation is that there are over 8,000 Kriyas and meditations that have a specific purpose. So I know that if I'm feeling a certain way, I can find a meditation or a Kriya that will help me to shift. But another thing that I also find that's really self-soothing to me is that I'm like a grandma on the inside. I love to crochet. I love it. (laughs) I love to crochet. I'm very tactile. And so um, I love the feeling of the yarn. I love making patterns. I love making, um, I'm at the age and stage where a lot of my friends are having babies and stuff like that. And so um, I love making baby blankets and baby booties and like all of the fun things. Um, and it gives me a lot of like joy and pleasure to be crocheting and making these things for my friends. And um, yeah, so. <laughs> I love it. Um, if you could talk to the middle school version of Ashley, what would you tell her? Oh my God. That's like almost going to make me cry. Mm-hmm. Um <sighs> I would tell her that that you're okay and everything that is happening to you right now, that you are going to use it and help other people with it someday. Um, So I had my first um, experience of depression when I was 13 years old. And, and, and then I had this intuitive insight that I knew I was going to be helping, helping women and, and girls um, through tough times in their lives. And um, because I was experiencing my own really, really terrible time. And I felt like I had, I had nobody to talk to and nobody that would understand me. And um, nobody could understand me. And anyway, and so it was so interesting. So I went through this whole thing and then I go to high school and I go to college and then get my master's degree and, and I become a therapist and I work for a couple of years and then I start my own private practice. And my first client that I had in my private practice was a 16 year old girl who was depressed and didn't feel like she had anybody who, that she could talk to. And, and it was like, all of a sudden, I saw how all of my life, everything that I had been through and gone through and studied and done all the things for was to help her. Mm-mm. And if that was all what it was all about, that was enough for me. What, you know? what an amazing full cir- circle moment. It was such a full circle moment. Yeah. And it was... It was just like the most incredible experience when I first sat with her and her family. And then, and then I worked with her um, on and off for two years, the rest of her time in high school. And she went to college and, and she did great. And she's doing, you know, I don't really, I don't see her anymore, but I heard a little bit from her mom on and off when she was in college and, and she was doing amazing. And, and, and I think that sometimes in our, when we're in those dark, dark places. We don't, we can't foresee how this is not only going to change our life trajectory or the lives of others and how it's going to inform our life purpose. We can't quite fully see it. But so if I were to say something to my middle school self, I would say like, you are so okay. You are so worthy. This is all going to make sense one day. And you're going to, you are going to do that thing. You are going to use your experience to transform the lives of other girls and women. And so be patient, be kind to yourself and you're going to, you're going to make it and you're going to be fine. 
I love that. Um, and the final question is, uh, the title of this podcast is Rethinking It. And mm. so is there one thing about yourself that you thought would never, ever change, and then it actually did change? Oh my God, that's like a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so I have like the one thing that's, that's coming up. And so I'll just share it because I can't think of like another big thing. So um, and this is a conversation that brought you and I really close together was that I had a, I had a really, um, uh, I don't, I, I, my mom and I used to be really, really, really close. And, um, and I thought that that was totally okay and totally normal. And then as I started to get older, I started to see the ways in which it may have limited my capacity and, and limited my independence and limited my um, my ability to be independent, I guess, mm -hmm. maybe. And, um, and I didn't, and I didn't realize it. And, and so, but what, what happened in that dynamic was, and it wasn't her fault. It wasn't, it wasn't my fault. It was just the way that the cards fell. But what happened was, is that I, I didn't feel like I could, once our relationship started I started to question these aspects of our relationship um I started realizing how I didn't feel like I would be able to make it without her hmm. and the reality was that I was really actually strong enough to do it all on my own and um and I think that for people who struggle in relationships with their parents or they feel overly dependent on somebody else's approval or they they feel like that maybe somebody in their life has always taken care of things for them when things got rough right so that you've never really had to test out your own strength that like being able to do that is really even though it's like really really hard and really really painful is so gratifying because you really get to learn about your own strength and so, so in terms of rethinking it, something that I really had to rethink about in my lifetime was really rethinking the dynamic and the relationship with, with my mom in order for us to also be two whole people coming together. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I think um, it's such a good reminder that you you are so much stronger than you think you are. And we all experience really trying moments where we think that this is it, that there is no way out. Mm -hmm. um, and by just showing up every day, doing whatever you can to get through that day, you are slowly but surely moving through it. And at some point you are going to be on the other side of it. And yeah. that doesn't mean that that's going to be your ideal or the perfect scenario, but you will have gone through it. Yes. And just by going through it, you're going to make it yeah. and, and you are going to be better and stronger and, and, and you're, you're going to feel your own sense of power and purpose in that. And that's like priceless. Absolutely. Know? Um, well, it's been such a joy talking to you. I'm so happy that you came on the podcast and I know this conversation is going to be helpful for people, especially anyone struggling in finding their own enoughness and navigating the often tricky dynamics of any type of relationship. Yes. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on, Stephanie. I really, truly love and adore you. And I'm just so grateful. And I'm so proud of you for doing the podcast. And I can't wait to listen to all of it. And um, you're amazing. And so thank you. Thank you. I feel the same way about you. And I cannot wait to read your book. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'll have to come back on. When, Absolutely. When it's out in the world. Definitely. <laughs>